Well, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the power of your word. We ask you that the word would, Father, pierce and penetrate, that there would be, it would shine light. None of us can clean up a closet in the dark, but if there's just a little bit of light, we can bring order to it. So, Lord, shine your light. I ask you that you'd anoint my tongue to be the pen of a ready writer, that I might write the oracles of God upon the tablets of the hearts of these, your men. Uh, and we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're continuing, and, and really God's just adding to it uh, each week, uh, a series on fortified faith. Um, and the importance of, of not just having faith, but having it fortified, having it strengthened, having it uh, because your faith will be assailed. The, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the first thing he, that if he wants entrance to your life is to knock your faith down. Do something that causes you to blink. Something that, that, that you really thought God was going to do or you thought wouldn't happen. And none of us are exempt from those difficulties. This week, and I'll give you an example, and we'll pray about it at the end. But one of my mentors is a guy named Kerry Kirkwood. He's out of Tyler, Texas, and um, he has been in, I think he would say, um, at least 138 countries. Um, thank you, Cody, ministering the gospel. Um, and uh, he's been to um, Australia many times, and he has a church up um, within 30 minutes of the North Pole, the very northern part of Canada. Um, and, and so he, uh, in order to get there from Tyler, he had to come to Houston. So we drove to Houston. We he parked his car at our house. I took him to the airport, picked him up. But while he was seven hours away, and it's that time now where the sun does not go down. Mm. It's 24 hours up. Um, you have to go on a new gravel road because uh, 10 months out of the year, they drive on a river. He said it's, it's something else. This, the, the, it's, the ice is sometimes four to six feet thick, but it's as clear as plexiglass. Wow. And to see the water running underneath it while you're driving in an 18-wheeler, it's just kind of a, uh, an experience. But while he was there, um, his wife was rushed to the emergency room, Diane, and um, uh, thrown up and, and, and things. And they did some scans, and they found a tumor in the back of her brain. Okay, And so he was distraught. But he's a man of faith, and he knew that he was taking care of God's business. So they prayed. Uh, she's going to be, they're going to, they go into the um, neurologist, I believe, either tomorrow or Monday, and exactly what type of cancer, how, what's the best way to treat the cancer. But he's one of the greatest men of God that I know. He, he and I were the ones who went to Mexico City about two months ago. Um, I've done many things with him, and he's just a brilliant theologian powerful man of faith, but these things don't bypass us. Mm. Nobody gets an exemption. You know, we do the best we can. We may stop 80% of what comes against us, but there are, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And we interpret that tribulation as people attacking us because of our faith. Jesus meant you live in a fallen world. And whether it's sickness, disease, politics, uh, um, murder, you're going to have tribulation. And then he, he clarified, he says, they hate me, they're going to hate you. And I received a, a prophetic word this morning from somebody that is a, a strong prophetic voice. And he said that, in fact, I was talking with uh, some other people. 
he said that God had told him that the devil knows revival is going to break out in this house. And he's taking demons from foreign countries and foreign cities and sending them to Spring, Texas to fight this thing. Now, can I tell you, when I heard that word, it was like, crap. (laughs) Come on. I mean, that's the first reaction. The enemy's sending demons. He's relocating his armies from around the world, bringing him to Spring, Texas to buffet this revival. But after I had my moment of, oh, my goodness, I rejoice because we may not know when, but the devil knows it's coming. And if he knows it's coming, I'll tell you it's coming. Revival is coming. So the word went from a momentary negative to a positive. Of course, whenever God is moving, wherever there's light, the darkness is going to fight it. So we have to be fortified. We've got to get our faith to a place where it, 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 we fight and we battle and we win. The world, the culture, flesh, devil, um, separately, in unison, planned, unplanned, sporadic, They want to overrun our faith because our faith is our strength. It's our substance. It's what we hope for. And that's how we got saved. Believe in your heart and have faith. Speak with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus, son of God. And, you know, a lot of people don't want Christianity, don't want the God of the Bible because they want another mechanism other than faith. (laughs) Anything else, anything else that would that we could believe. But and yet the creator of the universe said, that's all you got. Work it or don't work it. I don't really care. You know, I prefer. Do you know that God has never sent anybody to hell? Old country preacher said it this way. God has never sent anybody to hell. He just gets out of their way. You know, when a man stands before God without, without the Lord, then he is responsible for his sin. And he, in fact, everybody in hell sent themselves. I once was talking with a, a pastor and kind of the underdog mentality. Can you imagine all the crying and, and, and oh, my goodness, God, it wasn't Allah. It was Jesus and all the sorrow. And he said, hell's not full of sorrow. It's full of rage because mm. even in hell they hate him. They, they rage. A gnashing of teeth is not scary. That is being so angry that you can't. So hell is full of rage. When, even when they find out Jesus is Lord, they still hate him. And they'll spend eternity separated from him. So there's not, now there's some people in hell that, you know, wow, I sure made a mistake and grieve, and that's the sorrow of it. No second chance. Hell is permanent separation from God with no second chance. But on this planet, he'll give you 490 second chances a day hmm. to get it right. See? But you and I, if we're going to help people, if we're going to help our family, we need to fortify our faith. And so... Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in the English Standard Version says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence, conviction of things not seen. That's the one we all kind of know. And now Hebrews 11, 1 in the Amplified. Listen, guys. Now, faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. And the one, the last one out of the Message Bible we've been using for the last couple of weeks, the fundamental fact of existence is this trust in God. This faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It is our handle on what we cannot see. 
The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. Now, we've been talking about faith from a military standpoint, how if you want to fortify an encampment, you, you build high walls, you build a moat, you, you do the things to prevent the enemy from getting in. But tonight I want to add something to the faith. We've been talking about fortifying. Tonight we're going to armor plate it. We're going to put armor. Where, where, where do you have that in Scripture? Take up the full armor of God. God is dressed in armor of light, the Scripture says. Armor plating fortifies an object. Now, by adding armor to our faith, we're creating a, an impenetrable thing, but we, we, that does not give us the right to lay down our armor. And you know when you lay down your armor? Oh, I would never lay down my armor. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Every time you sin, you lay down your armor. Because sin, uh, for it to reach you, it can't get past your faith unless you lay it down. And a wise man said this one time, that sin is loving something more than you love God. Now, we serve a great God. You and I, all of us, we negotiate our sin. Did you know that? How do we do that? Well, Lord, I can't help myself. I'm going to do this. But I know that if I ask for forgiveness later, you will. Now, the great compassion of God is that's true. He is faithful and just to forgive us. How many of our sins? All of them. And how many times have we sinned with the full intent of going back to God later and saying, sorry. And God still forgives it. Always remember, he, he takes away the death penalty of sin, but he doesn't take away the consequence. Sometimes our sin leaves us with a disease or a handicap or a broken marriage or dysfunctional children. So sin is, is a killer. But God wants us to understand that if we, we can armor plate our faith, and if we add that to our definition of fortify, which is what we've been talking about, to strengthen uh, a place by building military defenses, walls, trenches, etc., to make something or someone stronger, do you, pause for a moment. Why do we come to men's group on Thursday night? It's, if, if it was for the great food, you'd only come when, when Eric brings it. Right, we don't have men's group every third every third Thursday. We come, and whether you realize or not, the object of my teaching you is to fortify your faith, to make it stronger, to make it make it able that you can do the things you need to do for your family. Because remember, the the primary role of a man is to be the priest, provider, and protector of his family. Priest, provider, and protector. You can't pick two out of three. Now, a man can still be a provider for his family, even if his wife makes twice as much money as he does. Because mm -hmm. if she makes twice as much money, God still honors him as the provider. See? So uh, I've talked to people that they, the man feels threatened by the fact, you know, I love the day someday when Tavia makes more money than me. Care for me, baby. Take me on vacation. I, I'm ready to be pampered, all right? I already told her I want to be like those, kind of like those Egyptian movies, be on the divan with two people with the, with the, the white fan. peacock tails fanning fan. me, and I want her to put uh, gumdrops in my mouth. <laughs> She's not there yet. She's not there. So to add mental or moral strength, faith will cause your mind to work better. Faith will cause the, the choices that may be difficult, the moral choices, to, to not be moral choices because you just 
aren't, you just do the right thing. To give physical strength, courage, or endurance to. And our other scripture has been Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Having been firmly rooted, now being built up to him and established in your faith, just as you are instructed with over and overflowing with gratitude. Now, Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this, and without faith, it's what? Impossible. Impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been studying principles. Before that, we were looking at doctrines. We've looked at the voice principle and the venture principle. Tonight, we're going to look at the value principle. Then we'll have the vision principle, vigilance, and victory principle. Those will be the final three in this series. Has this been a good series? I think it's, it's, it's foundational to where God wants to take us. Amen. So the value principle is this. We must establish priorities. We must give value to what is worthy of value. And sometimes you can have two or three things of value, but you have to have a priority list with them. If not, you can have value, but have no peace. Hebrews 11, verse 9 through 10 says this, By faith, he's talking about Abraham, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Ooh, I like that. Matthew 6, 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, for us to understand the value principle, we have to understand our citizenship. We may be in America, we may have a passport that says I'm a U.S. citizen, but that is a temporary thing. We are citizens of heaven. The moment we said yes to Jesus, he became king, we live in a kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. But sometimes we forget the, the, the benefits of heavenly citizenship. Our king takes care of us. Our king provides for us. Our king protects us. Our king leads us. And he gives us the power to exist in a foreign land. We are sojourners, meaning we are nomadic. We go across this life on this planet, and we are just like the caravans that go across the Sahara Desert. The Bedouin tribes that wherever they decide they find water, they make their encampment there. We are aliens. Isn't it interesting that, that the Bible calls us exactly what our country is, is having a problem with? But we're not illegal aliens. We are legal aliens in heaven because our citizenship is established by our king, by what he's done. Philippians 3 verse 20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that scripture tells us we are citizens of heaven. Now, how high is that on your priority list? Do you realize your employer doesn't pay you? God pays you through your employer. Any money owed to you is owed to you by God, 
not by the person you're trying to get it from. We can get all torn up and messed up when we're expecting due compensation from an organization rather than looking at the Lord of the organization. God is the king of the president. God is the leader of the Supreme Court of the Supreme Court. God is over all authority of the House of Representatives and of the Senate. Doesn't matter what they vote. It's ultimately what what he allows to take place. And so when we understand this citizenship in heaven, then we should have a different atmosphere around us of how we deal with other people, how we deal with society, how we deal with circumstance, because we are ambassadors. Do you know that in an ambassador in, in the post-World War II era, that ambassador from a country, the U.S. ambassador, that if he, the U.S. ambassador to Germany or to Israel or to Japan, doesn't matter, the ambassador when he is sanctioned by the United States as the ambassador, the foreign country recognizes everywhere he sets his foot is America. Is America. The Japanese ambassador can walk through downtown Tokyo and every place he puts his feet is sovereign U.S. land. That's the way the ambassadorship works. And it's not a new idea. This came from biblical times. So everywhere you go, you are, wherever you stand, you're standing in heaven. When you're in Walmart, you're standing in heaven. Wherever your foot is, now, if you believe that, you have absolute authority and dominion as a representative of heaven wherever you go. And we're supposed to be bringing heaven to people, right? But when we live being beat up by society and by the rules and by the government promises unfulfilled, we can become down and dispirited and and angry and shake our fist at this is unjust as you should have done. We, we demand these things be done. And then God says, you're just going to wear yourself out. I'll do it for you, but I'll do it in a way that brings me glory. Mm. And if that means delayed, doesn't mean denied. And so each of us has a thing in this life where we have lost sleep, we've gotten angry, we've gotten disappointed because the kingdom of this world has not been fair to us. It's withheld things from us. It's allowed somebody else to get the promotion or somebody else to get the job or somebody else to get the bonus. And we get angry. And God said, that's on you because a king takes care of his kids. Hmm. And if you, our things are owed... Talk to the king. The king has the ability to go to the shoe, uh, to the cobbler, to the, the armorer, to the, to the baker and say, you owe him. But if we go to the baker and shake our fist at him, he just closes windows on us. And we get mad because they're not treating us right. God says, no, 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 no. You need me to talk to them. And if you let me handle it, I'll handle it. But don't tell me how to handle it. Whoa. Woo. I don't ever want to be the one that tells the king how to do his job because he's not doing it the way I want it done. Anybody listen to what I'm saying? So in order to have a value principle, you have to have a priority principle. And the priorities of God have never changed. The first is God himself. He is the top priority. He's number one. He, he has to be in the preeminent place in your life. God wants to, unfortunately, society takes words and, and corrupts them. The Greek word for the presence of God being around you was the word haunted, translated into English. 
God wants to haunt us. Now, we take that as negative, ghosts and horror stories. Haunting, you're just simply aware something's around. You go into a building, you're aware something's there. And from the positive, God wants that, that sense that wherever you go, I've already, I've already gone in front of you. He's our forerunner. When we go to a business, we go to a place, he already is there for us. So God is the priority. The second thing, second is your spouse if you're married. Okay? The third is your children, family. The fourth is your career. The fifth is the kingdom and the sixth is your ministry. Now, it is easy to get that all messed up. Mm. Not so much that, that of the top three priorities of, your, of the family uh, or of God, your wife, and your family. But sometimes we elevate our ministry even above the things of God. Mm. God, you called me to ministry and things are not going right. And God says, you're out of priority. You're out of order. In fact, God puts your ministry as the very last thing. Why? Because God can do it without you. He wants to do it with you. He wants to participate. He wants to, 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 to co-labor together. But when you start to bring your pride, ooh, what happens when your ministry, you put it above your spouse? Or above your children? You put it above your spouse. Your spouse does not want to have to compete for you. She understands every spouse, if it's a good spouse, should say, love me, but love God more. Every husband say, honey, love me, but love God more. They should be that priority. But what happens when we elevate our ministry above our wife? I'm sorry, honey, it's your birthday, but, you know, God's calling me to, to go down and stand on the street corner and tell people repent. God may have told you to do that 364 days, but he didn't say do it on your wife's birthday. All right. If we're not careful, we'll use the things of God as an excuse not to take care of our family. Not to love them. And guess what happens when you elevate ministry above your children? You send them into rebellion. They begin to resent the things of God. They will fight God because they, they recognize that well, they can't put their finger on it, but there's a priority problem. And you're saying that what you do for God is more important than the children that God's given you. And children cannot, you know, a man cannot serve two masters. He'll love one and hate the other. And oftentimes that hatred is of God because you've elevated the ministry. It's so easy to put things in, out of priority and, and, and to do that. The career, God is more interested in your career than he is in your ministry. I don't know about that. Well, usually people that uh, don't have a career, they, they'll say, well, ministry was more important. I gave it all up for God. I gave it all up for God. And God said, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked you to take, to provide for your family. I gave it up all for God. That was because God was the top on the priority list. Yes. So, um, I'm saying. When, when is giving it up for God not the top priority? Simple. I mean, there are two words. One at the top of your list. And one is at the bottom. And I need clarification. Certainly. Even an infidel, uh, uh, an unbeliever, when a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. And there are men that, have, that have, have put their family through hardship because they believe God was saying, do this. But God will never, ever ask you to do anything to put your family at risk. I'm not talking about the risk of going to a foreign country. 
I'm not talking about the risk of, of the gospel message. But when you say that God's calling me in ministry, honey, that means that um, we're not going to have a house. Uh, there's no food. God will provide. Trust the ravens. Trust these things. God didn't. He doesn't ask that of us. He said, I've given you the ability that whatever you put your hands to do shall prosper. So if you understand that I'm giving you the ability to earn a living to take care of your family, then there's everything, there's nothing I cannot do with your ministry. See? But ministry is the bottom thing. And what we do to find our value is find ways to elevate the ministry in order to have a sense of poor purpose and intent with God. But the only thing, you can't elevate your ministry over God, yet some people do. Their ministry is more important than their prayer time. Their ministry is more important than their friendship. Their ministry, listen, hey, listen, I, I understand your house is on fire, but my prayer time is not going to be done for 20 minutes. You've made an idol out of your prayer time. Do you know that unfortunately there are people that will use the things of God because they're lazy. And they'll, they'll use the excuse of, of being in relationship with God just so they won't have to help somebody. I would like, I'd love to help you move, Jimmy, but I'm just telling you, the, the Lord has told me um, to be on my knees all day today as you're sitting in your recliner. All right? And I'm not picking on any of us. I'm just saying that whenever you elevate ministry, the priority list, God, spouse, children, career, kingdom, and then ministry, if ministry is ever elevated, it almost always costs your family more than they than it should cost them. And then we get mad at God. God, I'm serving you. I've left my job. I'm 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 witnessing to uh, the homeless downtown, and we're getting evicted from our apartment. You need to do something, God. And He'll be quick to tell you. I didn't tell you to quit your job. I didn't tell you, ask you to go downtown. See, the enemy has run more people out of ministry by speaking King James. Thus saith the Lord, leaveth thine job and go and minister to mine, uh, my hurting people and I will provide for you as I did with the ravens and with the woman with the oil. And then you get down there and there's your children don't have food. Your wife is unprotected. So if you have your priority list, you have your value list. If you keep your value, there's nothing God won't do with you. But he will never ask you to violate the priority list. Now, God may say something to, um, I'll use Oseas as a single young man. He'll say, he may say, Oseas, sell everything and, and move to Honduras and be a missionary. Okay? Well, because he has no wife and he has no children, all right, God has sent him to be employed by the kingdom then he's not violated the, the career aspect of it. He understands kingdom. He's in a relationship with God. So he's not actually elevating the ministry. It's there's nothing above it that would interfere with it. See? And that's why when God tells a man to do something, if he tells a man to do something that puts his family in jeopardy, oftentimes he'll not ask for confirmation because he won't get it. The Lord told me. I've met more people that didn't hear from God, but when they say the Lord specifically told me, it eliminates the argument. How can you come back and say, no, God didn't tell you that? Like in prophecy, prophecy is very powerful. But when you say the Lord, God, told me to tell you this, it eliminates any possibility that you missed it. Mm 
because we live in, 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 in a world where we're in New Testament prophecy. We don't prophesy over kingdoms. That's all Daniel, Ezekiel, and, and Matthew. Personal prophecy, if you listen to me when I prophesy, I'll almost always say, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you this. I sense God wants you to hear this. You will very rarely, if ever, hear me say, the Lord God said, say this. Because when I do that, it, it illuminates any, well, I'm not sure, or any type of argument. Uh, not an argument you want to argue against God, but it takes all the wiggle room out, you know? And then that person may take, thus saith the Lord, and then I'm responsible because that's not what he said. Okay? So there's ways of understanding, but these priorities that God gives us. If we are single, we don't have a family, we don't have wife and children, then there's no violation of the, of the, the, the priority list if you go into, ah, except one. Ministry is still below kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? Righteousness. Righteous. And then what? All these things shall be added on you. So you can seek the kingdom. It could be the fifth thing on the, on the list. But by seeking the kingdom, he keeps you in a value principle. God, spouse, children, career. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? He will, seeking the kingdom will keep you prioritized. It's, it's virtually impossible to elevate the kingdom over your spouse. You can do it, but at her expense. You can do it at your children's expense. You can say the Lord is, is telling me that I need to be kingdom-minded. Some people are so kingdom-minded, they're no earthly good. And anytime you see somebody that is, is, is their priority lists are broken, they'll, they'll fight you. They'll argue with you. No, it's not. No, you're wrong. No, you study your scripture. God is the priority of overall things. If he gives you a spouse, she is the, sec she is the next priority. Your job, it, listen, I've seen people come into the church dressed like they were shopping at the Galleria. And I look at his wife and it looks like they're in rags. Because how he cares for his wife is on her countenance. And I've seen people that shop at Goodwill and she looks like a queen. She's loved, she's protected, she's provided. She's confident <coughs> because her spouse understands that his responsibility is to make sure her life is a good life. A father's responsibility to make sure his children have the best opportunity. The kingdom is full of orphans. The kingdom of God in America is full of orphans because of two reasons. One, pastors did not look for their replacement. They were just convinced they'd never die. One day, all of us are going to die. That's right. And if a pastor hasn't sought his replacement, hasn't groomed him, hasn't prepared him, he leaves a, an orphanage. The father of the house is gone. And when that happens, the natural order of things is people will begin to fight for power. And then eventually the church will dissolve because of that. But if he was a good father, he was looking for his son or sons to replace him. The second thing, time, when an orphan, when it's an orphan, is when a family is orphaned by their father because he was more interested in his ministry than taking care of his wife and his children. In fact, angry at them because they're holding him back. Angry because they're not letting him uh, go on the mission trip or they're not doing it. And, and, and they've chosen to warp the priority list 
Some people will choose ministry because they don't know how to be a husband and they don't want to learn. They don't know how to be a father and maybe they failed at it. Well, I, I'm not a good father, so I will just be a father to others in ministry. I have sons in ministry. You know, God is doing retching when we say things like that. I don't, there's so many men and women that stand before God. You could have been great if you kept the priority list. My wife didn't want to have anything to do with the kingdom. God, is that my fault? Is that my fault? You abandoned your wife because she didn't want anything to do with me just because you knew that the world needed you? There's going to be some terse responses in heaven for men, even men that have accomplished great things, but they got their priorities out of line. And, and how can you argue when ministry becomes successful? When you lay hands on the sick and they recover, when you preach and, and thousands get saved, man, I must be doing this right. But your wife is in sorrow and silence, abandoned because you're gone on the road three weeks out of the year. Your children, if this is God, I don't want anything to do with God. Do you know the most rebellious people in the kingdom are pastor's kids, PKs, because they, their father may be a good man, may preach well, takes care of the family, but they don't get the attention. 2007, I went to, to Cleburne, that church where the missionaries were, and it's the first time there, I was on a presbytery with Pastor Kerry. And they brought people up. There's hundreds of people in the audience, and that's pressure. Uh, family miracle and I, it's easy because I can pick who, I want, who the Lord wants me to prophesy. But when you, they bring somebody up on the stage, and everybody knows them, and they're all looking to see what God's going to say over them. That's pressure. But if you trust God, it's not. So I said to this young man, I said, you feel like you're an orphan. You don't have a father. You feel like the covering that you need, someone to teach you and grow you, as a, and, and, and you're fatherless. He begins to weep, and, and I know I've connected with him. I sit back down, and Pastor Kerry goes, that's the pastor's son. Mm. We've had that laugh many times. Don't do that, because you'll shut everything down right then and there. Man, I missed it. Oh, my God. I just told 400 people that here's an orphan, and his dad's the pastor of the church, you know. And, and, but I knew but that, was real. that something about the Later, we find out the pastor comes to me weeping. Because his son had just told the associate pastor, my dad is a dad to everybody but me. I go to this church and everybody gets a piece of the father but me. I don't like it and I don't like him right now. So God nailed it. So he was restored, but it caused his father to repent and then come in publicly before the church say, that was a right word. I repent before you all. I have not been a father to my son because my priority was being a father to everybody else. See? So when God gives priorities, there's value to that. And again, your wife doesn't want to be in ministry. She doesn't want anything to do with God. She wants to, to do her own life. Okay, I understand that. But you can't compensate by that by ignoring her and going on to the greater glory that God, and God will give you a little measure of success, but he gives you the success to show your wife this is real, not for you to come back and say, listen, you know, um, maybe we're unequally yoked. Mm. Are y'all listening to me tonight? See, part of fortifying your faith is having the right priority list, which means you have to have a value. Now, what about it when God tells somebody, hey, 
I'm asking you to give it all up and serve me. And he will do that. But when he does that, there has to be what consideration has he made for the people that in order to bring this ministry up, everything has to drop down a notch. You'll find out he doesn't do that. We take it and go further than God wanted us to go with it. Now, again, uh, uh, a man was married. His marriage didn't work out. His wife left and, and went to Alaska and took the kids there, you know, and God says, now serve me and go where. Then there's no broken priority list there because the family's been removed because of divorce or whatever reason, okay? God hates divorce, but it's not a sin. Mm -hmm. But when a man feels like God's telling him to do something and the only people holding him back are the people he's supposed to take care of, there's a pretty good chance that, that either God didn't say it or God says, get your act together with your family first and then I can use all of you. But the sad part is we, we, when we minister, we find value. And sometimes we don't find value as a husband or as a father. Maybe our, our wife has got, just got too many uh, litany of things we've done wrong. And every time we start wanting to do something better, they remind us of who we are. Or maybe our children just, listen, I have two older daughters. I have Jade will be 41, Sarah's 38. Same womb. Jade has never gotten her life together. Even today, she's raising a, my oldest granddaughter, who's, who will be 16. She won't accept help from anybody. She basically uh, goes from boyfriend to boyfriend, won't take counsel from me, and can use the fact that I'm no longer married to her mother as a, as a reason. Sarah, three beautiful kids in church every Sunday. Healthy, good family. Same womb. And so it's choices. And one thing that you'll find out is you may have influenced the choices of your children, but they're going to stand before God by themselves and give an account. And they can't say, Daddy didn't love me. That may be an influence, but they still are responsible for choices. So it, you can get this all kind of stirred up, but as long as you hang it on the laundry list, hang it out there to dry, God, spouse, children, career, kingdom, and ministry. Where do you put mother and father? Are, you know, you're on this list. In family. In, is family on this list? Yes, yes. God, God. One is family. Third one, God, spouse, family. That's family? Any, That's anybody family? to do with family. In-laws and outlaws. Oh, it's not just children? Not just children, family. Oh, family. I yeah. wrote it wrong. Wrote it wrong. Okay, so it's God, so spouse, even though, family. Even though Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. And what did he mean by that? If it was That's a good question. That's a good question. What he was not saying that you have to hate them, you have to hate the connection to them that keeps you from me. Mm. He never inferred to hate your mother and father. What he inferred was that he hates it when you won't follow him because of the family or familial connections that bind you to the family that are not godly. Yeah. See, That's, I've understood that, but then it sounds like you could say, well, um, because my because of my priorities of putting family first, I won't do my ministry because that's lower on the list. Mm -hmm. So I won't be. But is God 
is discipleship the God priority, not the ministry priority? But when he says, be my disciples, which okay. is that a top priority or a low priority? It falls into the area of ministry. And if I have my priorities right with God, I can have unlimited discipleship opportunities in ministry because I haven't elevated them in the priority list. In other words, that if I have a right relationship with Tavier, I can go anywhere in the world and, and be a minister. If I have right relationship with God, with my spouse and my children, then there's nothing God cannot do. When I see my ministry diminish or begin to wilt, it's because subconsciously or intentionally or overtly, I've seen more value in my ministry and the results of my ministry than I have in the immediate results of my family or of my wife. We gravitate to what loves us. We move away from what doesn't love us. We'd, and your wife can love you, but if it, the ministry loves you more, you're in trouble. See? If, if what you do is more important than who you are. God, and I'm just telling you that so many, Julian makes good points. Where's discipleship fit into this thing? Well, if discipleship fits into it, that's what ministry is. Ultimately, all ministry is discipleship, whether it's feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those in prison. It is a measure of discipleship. What is discipleship? A, a disciple is a learner, but a disciple, to disciple someone is to teach them about God in whatever setting it is. Now, some people aren't good disciples because they don't like where God's put them. And you're never in, you're no good where you aren't. Wherever you are, God knows you're there. Look for the opportunity to be a disciple there. And maybe the discipleship, you're, you've got big plans. You've been to seminary and you've got all these things. And then the, the local church says, hey, listen, we need somebody to teach the, the six to seven-year-olds. I'm offended. I should be preaching from the pulpit. I should be leading uh, uh, an elder class. I should be discipling uh, soul winners. And God basically says, if you can't go there and do that, I can't use you anywhere else. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. sacrifice. Woe unto us when we think that we are of greater value to somewhere else. And we get angry at God's, the authority God puts over us because they can't, they're not tapping our true potential. They're not using us the way, and we're, we're, we're stifled, we're shut down, we're, we're put in children's church on Sunday morning. And maybe all God is trying to tell you is, can you do that with joy? Amen. The authorities over your life have told you, teach the five to seven-year-olds. Can you say, yes, sir, Amen. I'm in. If you do, it's because your priorities are right. Now, if you're being underused, underappreciated, and being abused or being uh, misused by leadership, God will just remove you from that. But he doesn't want you to remove yourself. Because until you can come under those that God puts over you, you will never rule over those that God puts under you. And the people that God puts over you, they, it doesn't matter if you know more than them. It doesn't matter if you're older than them. Doesn't matter if you've had more success in ministry than them. None of that means anything. It's when God sets an authority structure, can you be submitted to it? And most of the time, there's something that you're not going to like about the person over you. And God intentionally, listen, now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do? 
as long as we are on this planet, we are supposed to be disciplined and discipled. Disciplined to do it the right way. That's why discipline and disciple are identically spelled. All right? God wants us to be discipled and to be disciplined. Okay? And, and that's what Jesus said. Go out and make disciples. Go out and spread the gospel of the good news. But if you follow all of the other Jesus' teaching, he did not say abandon all of your responsibilities and go to the four corners of the world. He never said that. What he did was he gave the Great Commission, but the Great Commission only works. Listen, listen, listen. This, if you don't hear anything else, the power of the Great Commission only works when there's a healthy family. Because God's a family God. And God is all about family. And family is the priorities of God. Healthy families that generation to generation can hand off the gospel ministry. 2,000 years it's been handed off. And now what is the world? The world wants to destroy family. It wants to make it irrelevant. It wants to make it the nuclear family is no longer important. Don't worry about that. You can have two mommies. All of these are assault with the intent of stopping the gospel. Because gospel is fueled by healthy families and the healthy family of a man. I'm not, the women aren't here. I, I would teach this part differently to a woman, but the priorities would be still the same. For a woman, God, her husband, her children, her career, kingdom, and her ministry. But her responsibilities in the family and the husband are different for her than it is for him, but it still falls under the value principle that God has established. Amen? So, yes, there's, there's, there's perceived exceptions, but there aren't really. It's oftentimes that when somebody gets tired or they get frustrated or things aren't going well, they want to hear from God for a new assignment. And be careful, be careful, be careful of asking for a vision. Because you'll get one. It may not be God. It may not be God. The devil has deceived more people through vision, through dreams. And now they will fight because they believe they got that thing from right. The easiest way to know if a vision or a dream is from God, take the vision and the dream and lay it next to the priorities that God has. If the dream or vision causes you to violate eternal principles of value that God has established, it wasn't from God. Or it's not yet. Not yet. Okay. There are things that I will be able to do in the kingdom once Cody is married. Once, and you know, what I've told him is find a billionaire woman that just, <laughs> that can build you your houses, take you on the yachts and, and do that. So he's, 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 he's working his rap, you know, he's, he's going to get her. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. When Molly's married and, and Vivian's married then that is all five of my children that are up. Now my priorities can change, but at that point, I can't make the mistake. Now we have no more children. Now my ministry becomes more important than Tavier. No, 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 no. I'm in trouble all over again, see? So if I'm living with the priorities, it's unlimited what I can do. If I love, let me just give you a final thought. If I am living right and I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I love my wife and I give my life for her and, and, and regularly am, am loving, praying over her and ministering to her and I take care of my children, then 
God can actually take my career, the ability to earn, and merge it with the ministry so that the ministry provides my income. That doesn't violate the priorities then. Doesn't violate the priorities. The two become merged into one. But here comes the principle of kingdom. Career is being, is being, is now earning my li- livelihood by the kingdom, but I can't take my ministry and livelihood and put it above the kingdom. Well, Pastor, you just said career is above kingdom, not when it's merged in the ministry. Now, if I learn my, earn my living by the kingdom, God, wife, family, kingdom, career and ministry. Yeah, but my career actually moves down below because now it's made by the ministry. The last priority in your life, and I know this is hard to get, but when you understand and read your Bible, how God does it, the last priority God will ever ask of you is you for, for you to be a minister. But if your priorities are right, he'll take you anywhere, unbelievable circumstances and situations. But your ministry in God's eye is the last thing. He'll never violate the top. But if you do the top, he'll send you, take you to places. You'll do amazing things in ministry. You'll receive that sense of value from the ministry. And it's great, but he'll never, he'll shut it down if it violates the value principle of the order that he gives to you in your life. Amen? Does it make sense? Yes. Do you think people confuse God is first and then they see ministry is down here. They see ministry is right up there with Always. That's the temptation of ministry. Yeah. So, and I'm just sitting there thinking, putting God first, that means we're a disciple of God. He is discipling us in in those priorities. Yeah, yeah. All the time. I know men of God that are at the end of life and they were great ministers, but their children don't love them. Their wife is gone. They sit in the house alone. But man, they won converts for the kingdom. They went, they went to the places. They healed the sick. They did all these things. And their ministry now is hollow because it was successful, but it was out of priority in the list of what God was doing. And so it's also possible to, to do the reverse. You can lay down the ministry when God says, I want you to do this. I want you to serve. I want you to be, uh, uh, um, I want you to bring the inspirational word on a Sunday morning. And then you call up Sunday morning and said, listen, my wife and I, I just feel like we need to, she just needs time off and we're going to go fishing today. And so now you've committed to a ministry opportunity, but you're using the priority to get out of the ministry. See, we are, you, you got to be careful. The moment you think you know something, you don't know nothing. I've seen people that have wanted to get out of the, the burden of ministry by using the upper priority as their reason not, and you can't say anything. You know it's wrong, and you know why they're doing it, but you have to allow that because then you're getting into an area where you don't know everything that's going on. That it's, what I call it is when people volunteer their volunteerism. I'm going to be there, Pastor. And they never show up. And you say, hey, missed you. We slept in. Or I just, I don't know. I just, I, I felt like I wouldn't be an asset to the kingdom. I was, I, I woke up grumpy. 
sir. I have an issue with a brother from Louisiana who became a minister. But it's not him that I have the issue with. His wife, before they became in the ministry, said, I don't want to be married to a minister because it takes up all his time and I don't have time to be his wife. How did that... I, I'm, trying to I'm not up. going anywhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm not going anywhere. I was trying and, to figure out how that, and then she said this very interesting statement because I definitely don't want to wear them big old pants with big old hats. That the well, that, that's that that's religion. That has nothing to do with priority. It has that's everything to do with religion. I couldn't believe that. My wife told God that her grandfather's was a pastor. Her dad was a pastor. She, when she was in college, she said, "Lord, I am not going to marry a minister." I've seen what it did to my mom. I've seen what it did to my grandmother. And so she told God, I'm not marrying a preacher, you know. But that was a motivation to not do the damage to her that I've seen the subsequent. It it made me pay more closely, uh, more attention to her to make sure she was not deprioritized. See, and and we're almost done, but we we ascribe a value scale to everything. We do priorities. We do goals. We our habits are are priority often driven. How we how we get up, what we do. When we devalue something, we reduce or underestimate its worth or importance. So if I have my priorities out of list, then something's being devalued. I've had to move something to set something in, and then I've underestimated its worth. Mm. Oftentimes, it is always the family or the wife. We, we don't value what God values. See, you've got to be in your Bible. What does God call important? You know? Again, the scriptures that, that Julian mentioned, they are important scriptures. But the context of what Jesus was saying is that don't hate your mom and dad, but hate the influence that may cause you to be sentimentally attached to them that keep you from me. In fact, he was saying anything that keeps you from me, hate that. But he was using the analogy because in that day, family was everything. So he could make an important point, and they understood it. You remember the young man that he gave the, in, in the, uh, the uh, um, parable that I'll come with you, but let me bury my father first. And what he was first, he said, let the dead bury the dead. Man, if you don't know, understand the heart of God, then you think, man, he was hard. <laughs> but God is not hard. There's a purpose in everything he does. The second thing is you read, when you read a hard passage like that, do two things. Try to get a Greek lexicon and look at the words he said and look at it, what it meant in the Greek. Here's a perfect example. The kingdom suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Violent. That word violent in the Greek is to crowd out anything that takes your eyes off of God. So he says that those that crowd out the world, God that crowd out the flesh, that crowd out everything, they're the ones that will take the kingdom by force because their priorities are right. So Jesus wasn't advocating violence. That word means to crowd out, to put to the sideline everything that would interfere with your ability to walk with him. The kingdom suffers violence. What is that violence? The crowding out. The forcing, you, 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 we, we all see people, when people, you ask people to leave and they don't do it at first, then you have to, you have to escalate 
and sometimes he got and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and throw him out, you know. And I'm talking about a bar, not out of the house. But they don't know when to go home, all right? So that's an example that when you look at it in the Greek, it makes perfect sense. Be violent against anything that keeps you from him. Crowd it out. So the devil's schemes to un- is to rework your priorities, to rework your value system. And the Bible clearly warns us that the, the world's ability to seduce you, never underestimate it. One of the most destructive schemes of the enemy is to bless someone that it takes all their time to manage their blessing. So church then is the second priority. They don't have the kind, and, that, and they believe they're justified. I can't get to church because I'm managing all the blessings God has given me. Hmm. So obviously what I'm doing for the kingdom that's creating this blessing is more important than Sunday mornings because I'm on phone calls all Sunday morning and then the enemy just pulls the plug on it. Hmm. You lose everything and you're completely disconnected from the people because you've abandoned church. You got things out of priority. James 4 verse 4 says this, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, you can listen to that in Greek, Aramaic, and maybe throw a little bit of Hebrew and it's still going to say the same thing. All right? There, is, there are choices to be made. Um, we must not act like the world. And do you realize how many believers, you can't tell they're believers. They, they may not cuss, but there are certain things that they do that they like in the world and you may see them in it. You know, I've given you all this and the story of when I, uh, 20, 22 or 23 years ago, went to the Cayman Islands and I preached for um, Pastor Al. And the funny story was, I said, anybody wants prayer, come up. 450 people came up for prayer. Pastor Al and his wife went to the restaurant, left me with his church. <laughs> because they, and they come to the restaurant when you're done. You know, about three hours later, they've already eaten and everything. I said, no, I don't know what this is, but I couldn't imagine inviting a minister here and then him praying for people and then me go to Mama Juanita's and have lunch while he's still. But that's, that's a different story. But there was a couple that just got married and they were already in trouble. And this was their honeymoon trip to the Cayman Islands, paradise. They came to church. They'd had some arguments. They were really, and so God ministered to them prophetically. Word helped them with their marriage. They were, everything got healed. They were great. Now I was done. I'm on island time now. All right. Tank top, shorts, you know, and, and, and so we went to this little, um, um, a bar right on, on the beach. Okay. And so I told Tavier, Cody knows the story. My wife said, didn't have one. Who cares? You know, you're on vacation. You, if you like it, you want it. You're, you're not being driven by it. You just want it like, and can I tell you, you may hate me or not, but I love the taste of a good beer. You know, <laughs> I don't drink, but it's not bitter to me. All right. So we're sitting there in this cafe and uh, my back, like here's the street and, and I'm right at the corner and it's tiki lights and it's when they got all the, the Jamaican music playing. I'm on island time. And so I ordered a, a, a Michelob light, you know, and I'm sitting there and I look and here's coming the waiter with the beer. And I look and here comes that couple walking down the road. Now, it's like the Matrix moment. Ooh, <laughs> no. You know, now Tavier saw my eye 
And so she turned around, she's heard like this, and she sees the couple walking in. She didn't need it. So she did the most beautiful ballet move. She stood up, spun the waiter around, and took him that way. And they came up, and we had this great time. And then God said, you're always on call. <laughs> you're always on call. So it was a great learning experience, you know. But, you know, uh, everything else that I, that I do on vacation is none of y'all's business. That was just an example there. But we act like the world. We, we want to be accepted by it. We drive what we drive. We wear what we wear because we want to fit in. If we really had a biblical outlook and everything, we'd be in sackcloth all the time. Mm. You know, there was a season where my father-in-law, God said, dress like Moses and walk everywhere with a white staff, that big old white beard. He walked into the bank looking like Moses, you know. And, you know, God only asked him to do that for a season. And God was teaching him that it doesn't matter what you look like. If you don't look like what they want, they'll reject you. And because we hate the spirit of rejection, we'll dress, act, drive. I mean, anybody drives a Lincoln, just wants to impress the world. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. That's right. You're not in the pickup truck anymore. Come on. There had to be one coming that direction. All right. So, but listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse, <laughs> verse 15 through 17. Do, this is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the world in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. Now, that doesn't mean in your value list that you all of a sudden become Quakers, you know, and refuse to drive uh, anything other than a donkey or anything. And then, and, and then if you're going to have a beard, shave your mustache and wear a little flat hat. He didn't, that's, that's, there's always the extreme to everything. Because right. how can I win the world if I don't have the things to fish with? If I want to win a lost person and I'm dressed in a Vatican robe, there's a good chance they're not going to listen to me. Right? So I have to be appealing to the lost in order to fish them in. But I, God says, don't love that. Don't love that. The Bible says we can't be conformed. I'm almost done. Uh, my wife's favorite verses are in um, Romans 2, verses 1 and 2. But I'll start with verse 2. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we are conformed to the world, then we are, if we are conformed to the world, then we will be condemned by the world. Tough statements, amen? 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two says this, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. 2 Corinthians six seventeen. therefore come out from their midst and be separated, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. Everybody knows this one. You could do it for me backwards. Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So how do we reset when our priorities are? Do you know you can have perfect priorities on Monday and have them flipped by Tuesday? Situation, circumstance, things happen. They can get all flipped upside down. You're, yet, uh, all of a sudden, your, your, your wife does something, and, and, and you almost got to apologize for God. 
to her. Well, you have to reset. When a computer, does your, do you ever get a message every once in a while, re, re, reboot your computer? Because it picks up stuff. It slows it down, but simply by rebooting it, shutting it down and restarting it, it does certain things that clean up junk. Same thing with your phones. How many of you all, your phone never turns off? You go to bed at night, you just plug it in. And it'll run five and six months. But if you look at the manufacturer, they say you should restart your phone at least once a week. Just for, for the phone's health, the things that you need to do. So sometimes you need to reset. And if I recognize and honor God's priorities, almost done, then I'm giving value to what God says give value to. I operate with the value principle. And when I give them value, I fortify and armor my faith. So how do I reset? Guys, I've been telling this till I'm blue in the face. The last two verses of Psalms 139, you should say every single day. Verses 23 and 24. I'm going to give it to you in a couple translations. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous or another translation says wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. When you do that, you're saying, God, search my mind, search my heart, search my motives, search my values, search everything about me. Try me. In other words, judge it so that I can repent of it and lead me in the other life. Another translation says this, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm all about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Pretty nice, huh? I just can't tell you how many times I've said do this and some of you may say, well, you're saying it for the first time. No, I say it all the time. But sometimes when you hear it too many times, you become spiritually novocaine to it. You don't even think about it. But I'm telling you guys, in your morning prayer, start off with these last two verses, Psalms 130. Just read them out and then ask God to do it. And you'll be amazed at how quickly he'll keep you from going. You may be going off the cliff and not even know it. And he just light, gently guides you back. This is, this is like a guidance thing that keeps you on the path. One last uh, um, translation. God, I invite you to search. I, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test. Sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking in. And lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. The last verse is out of Jeremiah 6, 16 will be done. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. God says, I'll show you the path. I'll show you how to walk it so you be successful in everything you do. But if you're not standing where the path is, you'll miss it. And how do we miss it? By our value system being wrong, our priorities being out of whack. Listen, when you're in love with God and you hear God and you serve God, 
it's easy to prioritize what you do for God. When you're living right and doing the best, it's easy to, to go away from things that don't bring you value and go towards the things that do bring you value. None of us are exempt from it. But if we have the courage every morning to say, God, search me. If I'm off, if the value principle is not working, if I've reordered my priorities, my flesh is at war with me. The Bible says your mind's at war with God continually. Every day will be a gentle correction rather than a search and rescue. Mm-hmm. And if we want every day to be course corrected, how many of y'all know that from here to downtown Houston, if you drive in a straight line, you'll never get there. You've got to follow the road, the path. And sometimes the path to get there has to take you like this. When you have a God position sensor, GPS, he'll get you to where you need to go. But if you follow him, it may appear to take longer than you want it to go, keep you longer than you want to stay. But he knows what he's doing. And he knows that in us is a great desire to do it right. But he also knows there's within us is a great desire to do it our own way. And the battle every day for a believer is God's way will appear to be at war with your way. And that's where the submission to God, search me. If I'm doing this wrong, I'm telling you guys, little tiny adjustments every day are much better than putting you on time out for a year and saying, I can't trust you with anybody because you're not listening to me. I don't ever want to get to a place where God has to pull my ministry because I think my ministry is too important, too valuable. It could be valuable, could be important. But if it keeps me from God, it separates me from my wife, creates tension in my family with my children. If it causes me to lose my job. I know men that have got fired because they refused to be quiet about the things of God. And their employer said, while you're working for me, (coughs) I respect... I respect your faith, but I'm not paying you to share your faith. And then they get fired and they're mad at God and they're mad at the employee. He shut me down. He stifled me. God says, no, he was your boss. He had a right to expect you to, if he didn't ask you to do anything immoral or illegal, then what he's paying you, he deserves to get that much value out of you. And when you're saying I can't work because I'm busy sharing the gospel, he says, go share the gospel and then you're out of a job because the priority was wrong. See, when I worked, Bob knew me when I worked at, uh, at Amco all those years ago. For the first 10 years of, our, our, of my ministry, um, I worked uh, a 65-hour-a-week job. I was there from like 7 o'clock in the morning till 6, 6.30 at night. But I was the, and I'll say this with humility, I was the best at what I did. So my boss, knowing what I could do, he, his thing is, you can pray for people, read the Bible with people, as long as you don't have anything you need to do for me. You get everything that I need to have you do for my business to be successful, you do whatever you want. And it was a great relationship. Where he started feeling pressure was when I told him that God was calling me to pastor. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I had to sit with him. Uh, can I just finish this story? Because God will... God will, will do great things even if it humiliates you. I told Gene, he would, he, right now he'd be 95 years old. Okay, this is back in uh, 95 through, uh, I think, 2006 that I worked for him. 
And I did, I, and he, he was scared of me because I used to be his competition. When I owned my centers, I almost put him out of business. So he was thrilled when after I'd sold my shops a couple years out of the business, I came to work for him because he knew I knew how to work the business. I made him, I took his, his shop to be, Amco had about a thousand stores nationwide. We were like the number of 14 or 15 store in the country with volume. So he let me, but when I, God was calling us to start the church, he got real nervous. He said, you're going to leave me, aren't you? Because that church is going to need you. And I said, Gene, I'm going to make you a promise right now. If you sell the business or if you die or if you fire me, that's the only way I'll leave you. I'm committing to you. You don't have to worry about me. Okay? Well, the church started doing good. And I was getting worn out because I'm working all these hours every night's counseling, doing meetings, you know, no time to... And yet God gave me strength. And so Gene comes into me one day. <clears throat> he says, Bruce, I want you to sit. And he's not a believer. He's been angry at God. I, I led his wife to the Lord, but he was mad because his first wife died of cancer and he was just mad at God. Never got over that. So he was a, he was a little bit of a rough guy, language-wise and things like that. So he sits me down. He says, sit in my chair. Well, man, I've been in business. If the owner says sit in his chair, bad news is coming. Mm. You know? So he sat me down in, in his chair, and, and, and God spoke through him that day. He said, Bruce, he said, your church needs you more than me, and I need you badly, but your church needs you more. So tomorrow's your last day. Wow. Boom. Instant panic comes in, you know. We're a young church. They can't afford me. And, and so we've had all these tremendous expenses for and the hospital bills of what Cody had to go through, you know, I think eventually over time that Tavi had great insurance, but I think we paid close to a hundred thousand just our portion, you know, for his medical care, and it took everything we had. But then he says this: He said, "I've had your replacement in training for three months. My humanity is starting to rise up. You know, I'm getting a little red in the face." He said, "Tomorrow's your last day." but I want you to come in for the next three weeks and train him every day to do it as good as you did it. Wow. You're firing me and expecting me to come back for three weeks to train my replacement. <laughs> but see, I had no choice because he knew my character as a pastor, as a minister. He knew who I was. He knew I would say yes. So what God did was he took away my ability to say well, I, I, I decided when I would quit and go into full-time ministry. I was the best in the country, and he fired me. But it was God that fired me through him because I never would have quit him. I never would have left. I gave him my word. So the only way to get me out of it, God wasn't going to kill him. And he wasn't going to sell the business. That was going to be his family's business. So the only way God could get me out of there was to have the man cut off his nose to spite his face and fire his best employee to release me into ministry and then expect me to come back and teach my replacement for three weeks. And you know what I did? You did. Thank you, Lord. I'm humiliated. I was angry and hurt, but I knew it was God. And I could not let my anger disparage this lost man from God, he needed to see God in action. 
So for the next three weeks, I was there more than I normally was. And I was taking this guy through everything he needed to know so that at the end of that three weeks, my boss, this hard 80-some-odd-year-old man, wept when he shook my hand. And I left because I left with honor because I did the right thing. Even though it wounded me as a man, I knew my value system. I knew my priorities. One week later, say one week later, I get a phone call and I meet Carrie Kirkwood, my mentor, and I'm invited to go to Bastrop, Texas to do a revival service with him that I would not have been able to go because I was in prison to the shop. So God was saying, this is me. A week later, now I can go and do kingdom ministry and go to different places. And, but because I kept my priority list, when God closed the door there, he had a promotion for me. The next day, see, so the value principle, every situation is different. Every circumstance, every person is different. But for you, God, spouse, family, career, kingdom, and then ministry. God can explode your ministry to go all over the world as long as you keep it in the right priority and keep it in the right value. There's nothing God can't do and use you for. Amen. Amen. Did we learn some things today? Hallelujah. Bless your Lord. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that, that you know us better than we know ourselves. And that's why, Father God, we, we need to be course corrected every day. Things happen in life. A financial downturn, a health crisis, a relational issue. And it's so easy to prioritize them because we want to fix what's broken. The humanity in of us leaves the 99 to go after the one lost. To leave everything that's good in order to fix the one thing. But oftentimes that's out of priority and we end up damaging all the other things thinking we're fixing this thing. But if our priorities are right every day, then, Father God, all we need every day is a gentle course correction. But if we don't ask for it, search me, O God. Try me. Know my thoughts. Show me if I'm walking in an adverse way and lead me in the everlasting way. Every day God will course correct, and it's a minor adjustment. And life has value. It has peace. And all of the other parts of our priority list operate in perfect joy and wisdom. So, Father, there are what we, from not knowing the whole thing, may say an exception. God called somebody and he left everything to go. We don't know the whole story. But, Father, we can't do anything based upon what somebody else did. We have to do it based upon what you do for us and tell us to do. And so, Father, if we adhere to the value principle, which is your priority list, and even to our own hurt, we maintain it. Father, we become free from the encumbrances of the things of this world. And in a moment, we can be taken to the, to the, to the far corners of the world. Because, Father, our value system won't let us be destroyed. Because it's always you first. 
We love you tonight. And I pray that the words that were spoken tonight entrench themselves in our heart, lay uh, a strengthening to our foundation. And if there was a conviction, good. If there's new information, good. But Father, we are in a, te- uh, a perilous time, a tedious time, and the enemy just wants to upset our priorities. Thinking we're doing kingdom things when we're really doing what we want to do. Help us, Lord. We can't see it all. We don't know it all. And the, the best place to be is a place of being desperately in need of you every moment, every hour of every day. Have your way. And we're careful to give you the glory and the honor and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord one more hand clap tonight? Amen. Amen.